0: Welcome back to another episode of Rana Yogi Diaries. This is your host, Santosh Shiva. If you're new to the channel, please do remember to subscribe. If you like this conversation, hit like and leave your comments below and let us know what you think. In the house today, folks, Om Gandhi, Um, very excited to have him, a young man who's uh, been on a journey of self-discovery and... uh, through uh, endurance sports, through running, through ultra running, and his journey is nothing short of spectacular. In just a matter of uh, four to five years, he's moved from uh, just a 5K to becoming a uh, 100-miler, 200-miler ultra runner. And uh, his uh, journey is sprinkled with uh, not just physical uh, fitness, but also learnings in in the mental health space uh, which he has uh, uh, successfully dealt with through his endurance sports. So, a lot of uh, depth in this conversation. I hope you loved it, love it as much as I love talking to him. Uh, let's dig in. Hey, Om, welcome to Ron Yogi Diaries.
1: Ah, so excited to be here, Santosh. And I'm glad we finally got this going together and excited to have this conversation with you.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, very, very uh, glad uh, to finally uh, get down to talking. And you know, we've been uh, in have, we're having this we've been having this conversation for some time. And I know your schedules has got uh, busy, and you've been up to some amazing stuff. Triple Crown last year, so obviously that's kept you busy as well. Um, so yeah, we want to get into everything uh, about who you are, what you represent. You know, I've, I've read about. I read your some of your articles you were in the runners world recently so uh, you're out there so uh uh so we want to get behind the scenes a little bit and uh, understand what's what is what's behind some of these um you know uh mission and passion that you you have about some of uh, about health and mental health and physical health right so uh let me take a stab at introducing who you are and then we'll go from there
1: yeah. Oh, and one one thing I should say is that the Triple Crown is this year. Uh you you uh <laughs> you, you scared me for a minute there. I said the year couldn't have gone by that fast, right? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay.
0: so you you're going to do the Triple Crown in 2024.
1: Yeah, that'll be this year. And and hopefully I will be one of the next few South Asians to do it after uh, the amazing Bipul, uh which thank you for mentioning that. It's always great to recognize the First in the community who's done it, um, yeah. and I was just listening to that podcast before I got on this one. So excited to uh, follow in his footsteps!
0: Awesome, awesome. Okay, cool. Thanks for that clarification. Well, let's uh, jump in. Let me kind of uh, take a stab at introducing who you are. First of all, uh, you know, you, you. Uh, I like, I, I like the age bracket you're in. You're 29, right? Uh, so a nice, nice spot. Um, and um, you. Uh, uh, you're you a Merrill US Trail, you're a part of the US, uh, Merrill US Trail team. Uh, you know, uh, uh, of course, you're an ultra runner. Um, you also as a co-owner of the Run, Try, Bike, um, uh, you know, online property, if I may call it. It, it is exciting. I saw the content you produce uh, for fi- about fitness and mental health, and you speak to a whole bunch of amazing athletes. You have podcasts. Um, you also, um, uh, part of your... Uh, Identity also is about uh, supporting Richstone Family Center um, as a as a uh, it's a, it's an organization that uh, supports uh, families you know family and you know uh, I guess um, uh, prevents violence you know uh, domestic violence and things like that right so that's what I got from whatever I read um, what else uh, that's uh, did, did I cover everything? And you live in uh, the LA area, in California.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I think you did a really good job of introducing me, probably better than I would have done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay,
1: but great. I think uh, one last title is, I love a good dad joke. So I'm always telling those during my races. Uh, last okay. 200, I was telling two per every aid station. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, we, we probably have you. Yeah, tell us one of those jokes during the course of our conversation as well oh,
1: you got it Hopefully. you got it just don't run, just don't run away okay
0: <laughs> all right yeah i mean i'm sure you have a lot of good south asian dad jokes so and i'm a south asian with kids so you know i'm i'm all good <laughs> awesome hey you know the other thing that um uh, i know you fe- you you featured in the runner's world um in the november uh edition of 2023 and i urge anyone who's listening to this to go check that out uh very proud of that you know that you you have presented us in, in a mainstream uh media publication for running uh, and you said um uh, people tend to equate success with getting on a podium and figure their stories don't matter i don't think that's true at all so uh, i i just found it very nice very beautiful because um and i think that resonates with the mission of this podcast as well uh Because uh, you're so right, Uh, you know. uh, So that statement really resonated. And I just thought we could open the conversation with that. Um, So what I want to do is maybe, uh, Om, uh, we'll probably do a bit of a flashback, right? And and take us back a little bit about uh, uh, your journey and what got you into running and how did you get to that point?
1: Yeah, uh, I would love to. The place where I started a good place that I like to start the story is my background in my childhood. So I come from low income bracket family. I come from, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, uh, first generation, I think as you call it, uh, born in the US, family came from, family emigrated from Gujarat, India in the 80s, 90s. Uh, And I was never an athletic kid. I was, I always tell everybody That I was in remedial PE, so I had to take a special class because I couldn't pass the fitness test every year that I was in elementary school, middle school. I was the last kid on the track doing 14, 15-minute miles. I hated it. Even when I was in some sports, I was at the back of the bench. And I think whether you're the first or last in those sports, everybody would agree running was the punishment. Uh, That was not fun. Uh, And I was just a quiet shy introverted kid just a little bit rebellious uh just was really struggling with my identity mm. and the there was a key moment in my life uh and we can dive into the this in the mental health aspect of it more but there's a key moment in my life when i was 16 or 17 where mm-hmm. uh i really just didn't see any hope and i wanted to stop moving forward as i would call it mm-hmm. and Then I get to 18 years old, and my doctor tells me that I am pre-diabetic. Now, my dad has diabetes, my grandfather has diabetes, and I was just... The doctor said, if you keep going down this path two, three weeks, uh, then you're going to have diabetes. And that was a wake-up call for me, and so I started going on a fitness journey, I had tried so many times and I had failed so many times. Uh, And I had done everything from walking to just trying all kinds of fad diets and like green tea and uh, salad and just water only. And I didn't know what to do and I just kept trying. Mm -hmm. And two and a half years passed and it wasn't the healthiest way of doing it. I was restricting my calories. I was exercising a lot, but I lost Mm -hmm. 90 pounds. And yeah, I was 250 pounds when I was 18 years old. I dropped all the way down to maybe 155 and struggle with weight fluctuations throughout my life, throughout college. Uh, So flash forward, I joined the workforce, uh, graduated with a degree in civil engineering, and I was about 25 years old, struggling with weight fluctuations back up to 200 pounds, just unhealthy, unhappy in all of my relationships, high stress engineering job. uh, A lot of things were happening in life Mm -hmm. and I just just like, my brain was just jumbled. I just felt like I had made all this progress and now I was having a quarter life crisis. And, And so one night I was working long hours. So I was either in the office early in the morning or going late at night. So one night I decided I needed to find something Now, I had taken up exercise before this uh, for physical reasons. This is the first time that I had taken up exercise for mental reasons. So, I, this is my favorite story to tell. I ran a quarter of a mile uh, and it was horrible. It was bad. Mm -hmm. I felt really sick. Uh, I couldn't run after like just a few minutes after that quarter of a mile, but I still... That quarter of a mile changed my life hmm. uh, because something kept bringing me back. And I think looking back now, it was having a factor that was in my control. It felt like everything was spiraling out of control. So I thought i had quit so many things in my life. What if I stick to this one thing? What if I just keep doing it? So I set myself up to try uh, do like a run-walk plan to try to run 30 minutes straight. I got injured a little bit. It took longer than it needed to. This was April 2018 I started. By about June, July, I was finally able to run 30 minutes straight. And then I signed up for my first 5K, and that was the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And um, the rest was history from there. It was a domino effect from there, going from 5K to 10K to half marathon. And yeah, that... And here uh, you are. that yeah that exactly that decision changed my life and uh, that's kind of where the journey started
0: right so uh, you know you, you covered quite a bit there I want to unpack um, some of it right so you you talked about uh, you talked about a mental health uh, chal- crisis or challenge if I may um, if I, I don't know if I'm using the right word but uh, when you were 16 or 17 at that time frame right? Um and then you mentioned age eighteen, you were pre diabetic with it. so uh double click on that a little bit, so when you said um mental health crisis what what was behind it, and how did you deal with it so I've struggled with depression and anxiety since I was eight or nine years
1: old. I okay. did not I obviously went through a lot of childhood trauma, went through some uh went through some really Some things that, you know, to this day, I'm still working through. And, of course, like, and when you're that young, you don't know how to put into words what you're going through. I was like, I'm sad. Why am I sad? And, of course, you know, uh, it's very much uh, embedded in the South Asian culture and through nobody's, no individual's fault, just the way we were raised, right? So, I just remember when I was taking stress or being sad, my uh, my mom and I joke about this all the time. She used to say, why are you taking stress? Just don't take stress. Mm. <laughs> um, and I just, uh, it was just, that was packed on other things. I was never a favorite kid or a popular kid. I struggle with bullying a lot, mm. when mm. either for racial reasons or for being overweight or for not being able to speak properly and I struggle with bullying and uh that between that and turning to food for comfort I just mm-hmm. I got to a point when I was 15 when I was 16 17 where I just felt isolated alone and I think that's an important point I like to make all the time I think that this mental health stuff depression anxiety mm-hmm it tries to isolate you. It wants Mm -hmm. you to be alone and it tries to make you feel like you're alone. And that's why conversations like these are important because the more we talk about it, the more we're freed and the more other people know that they're not alone. At the time, I didn't feel like I could turn anywhere. So Mm -hmm. of course, like I just felt that there was no way out. And when I was about when I was about seventeen years old, I just remember a vivid moment where I almost tried to basically take my life hmm. and yeah i I don't know what compelled me to keep going, but I just decided that it was just it was almost like tough love. It was hmm. look, nobody is going to save you, nobody's going to feel sorry for you, which is not true. I think that there's a lot of connection and community out there but it was what i needed at the time Mm -hmm. when i was Mm -hmm. isolated and that was important for that chapter of my life and i used that and almost like a angst and a motivation to like prove everybody wrong that i'm not just a nobody that i'm not a loser Mm -hmm. and i used that to like lift myself up and i started just i won't say that it was like overnight everything became perfect but uh, I started moving. I think that was a significant moment where I started moving in the right direction. And I think about that. Even I did a 15 mile trail run this morning. I Mm -hmm. think about, I was thinking about that today, uh, about how my path, my journey could have stopped there. We wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't be on the cover of runner and I wouldn't have the opportunity to try to help other people out as well. And so now I view all of that as uh those hardships as part of my strength of being able to help other people so yeah absolutely i think it's uh do 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 i wish i didn't go through that pain sometimes but i also never truly regret it because i think that it's part of building the character that i that i have today and uh helping me towards being the person that i would like to be to help others
0: (laughs) terrific and i'm glad uh, i'm glad you're sharing this and um, you know i think this is an important uh, conversation there are a lot of uh, parents uh, you know who have uh, young adults or early teens in their uh, you know and and, they, and and parents struggle to have that communication to reach out to to um, uh, because this the whole communication just breaks down at certain phase in the parent and child's life. Right. Uh, it, it happens everywhere. It's, it's, it's almost like it's not personal, right. It's almost happening everywhere. A lot of places at least. So, to, so if you can, um, you know, I think this is so much gold in what you're sharing. Uh, and thank you for that. If you can, um, give us a sense of what is that one thing that kept you going in the sense there was this low moment, it was desperate. It could have gone any way. Uh, uh, but glad it it went the way it went, and you were here. Uh, but this is there anything you would want to say uh, from that experience? Saying if there's one thing that got, kept you going and not take a drastic action, what would that have been for you?
1: I think it was several things. It was, of course, the willing, the want to prove others wrong at the time. Um, hmm. It was. The other important thing was family, Hmm. Uh, regardless of everything that happened with my family and my relationship with my family. um, One thing that I've realized as I've grown up is that whatever I've been through, um, it's not invalidated, but it's only a fraction of what my parents have been through because that trauma is passed down from generation to generation. And we are all breaking some sort of chains uh yeah so like you know if my dad did certain things to me his dad was far worse you know so um uh one of my biggest motivations was being there for my family especially my mom and very much so my younger sister and i just realized that it's um, I'm not saying that it is a selfish thing to do that. I think that some people going for going through those things, they just see no way out and they have to do, they make that choice. Um, but I at the time felt like I was making that decision solely for myself. And I think I realized that I wanted to just give it another chance just to be there for my family and to also just see where life will take me. I, yeah, I'd watched a, I had watched a, I think I'd watched a YouTube video or a skit or something like that. And there was a very powerful quote in it.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, and it was very much, it was, a, it was a man talking to talking a guy off the ledge and he said something along the lines of, uh, he said something along the lines of, it was, we, we are all going to die We're nobody gets out of this life anyways. So you might as well fight
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and give it your best shot. Yeah. Uh, whether I made that decision now 13 years ago or, something happens to me tomorrow or I die when I'm 80 or 90. None of us are getting out of this life, so we might as well leave our legacy and our imprint. And that stood out to me and was very powerful to me. And I realized, like, <laughs> one thing I realized, and this is just, this makes me laugh that, uh in some ways it makes me laugh, because you have to have a bit of a dark humor to get through this life. But, like, mm. um. I was very much in a place where I was like, man, I'm at rock bottom right now. There's no way I can get lower. So the only way I can go is up. Yeah. So I think it was a culmination of all of those things and those thoughts and human emotions are so complex and uh, it's. Even no matter how many times I reflect and meditate on it, I don't even know the exact thing I was thinking at that moment and all the wave of emotions I was thinking. But I think it was a combination of those factors.
2: Yeah.
0: Thank you. That uh, yeah. makes a lot of uh, sense. Very, uh, very valuable there. And, and I think, um, you know, what you also shared, uh, you know, this was, uh, you, you got to this point. Uh, after almost six, seven years of your experience at school, being bullied and, you know, going through this sense of um, uh, maybe uh, an identity crisis. And and, and maybe I don't even know, I I don't know if this is a South Asian experience for kids. Uh, You know, uh, uh, it seems like it, right? It seems like it that a lot of South Asian kids go through this, uh, isolation, a sense of, do I fit in here? You know, there's this whole conflict of there's one life at home and there's another life out in the world. Uh, when you're living in America, it leads to a lot of conflict within. And, um, I, I don't know if that there's a lot of hypothesis out there. And I was listening to a talk this afternoon, um, by, uh, uh, by a physician, um, uh, who also um, is focusing on mental health, uh, uh, you know, especially the connection between mental health and physical health uh, from a physician standpoint, and um, he's a South Asian, and he was also talking about the same thing. It's about the whole uh, conundrum of identity that leads to so much of stress growing up uh, uh, in America for for uh, for the next generation. I didn't grow up here. Uh, I, I was I was a first generation immigrant, so I. I can't. Sometimes I struggle to understand or relate to it. I, I try to. Well, uh, when my, my kids tell me about these things, about bullying, or uh, you know, uh, being referred to in a racist way, or all of that stuff, right? Um, uh, is that is that is that resonate with you? I mean, is that something that you feel happens?
1: Uh, I absolutely. I absolutely believe that it happens. And I have talked to other first generation uh, born in the US and they have said some more things, but I call it the immigrant identity crisis. Mm. Uh, I think it uh, breaks down to the simple thing of, and this is the bluntest way to put it. I Mm. am too Indian to be American and I'm too American Mm. to be Indian. Every time I'd go Mm. back and visit my family in India, I just don't fit into the culture there. I come back over here and people are treating me different because mm-hmm. of the way my skin looks. And uh, then it's kind of, and this is again through, no, this is all just like bits and pieces of the community, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. It is obviously the parents wish and the families wish that they pass down their heritage. And I'm very proud of my heritage. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a sense of I come home and we're doing this. I go out here, and this is American culture Complete. Yeah. and that can be very confusing when you're young and you're trying to figure out where you fit in already, especially when you get to those teenage years, right? You're trying to just find a space where you fit. Uh, yeah. so it can be uh, it can be very confusing, and I don't know that I have the answer or the hmm. or any solution for it um, but I do hope that that aspect of the mental health um is explored in a more deep way especially uh when talking to other first-generation immigrant kids because this is not just i think a south asian thing i've talked to Mm -hmm. i've talked to people from japan people from korea people from uh just people from other cultures Mm -hmm. and they've experienced very similar things as well Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, Even Mexican culture, very similar things, maybe less so here because Mexican culture is so embedded uh, Mm. here, but uh, other Hispanic people, Latino, Latina people I've talked to uh, Mm. in other parts of the country. So it's definitely uh, um, it's an it's an issue that very much uh, exists.
0: Exists. Yeah. I I think one um, I mean. One takeaway I would kind of underline um, for those uh, listening to this and for uh, myself is uh, if you're a parent, you know, um, uh, I think this is an important aspect to be aware of, that it's not like, um, you know, kids just go to school, uh, study uh, some subjects and come back. There's a whole human experience that uh, encapsulates your child's experience at school i know i'm being uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably uh, you know 2020 20 hindsight right uh, but you when you know it all happens to all of us because as a parent you're you're in the middle of your own you know life and and you just uh, are hoping that your kid just goes to school and studies gets great grades and comes back very simple straightforward equation but mm-hmm. it never is that right There's this the kids going through the individual as a your child as an individual is going through a whole bunch of challenges that is factored by some of the things you just mentioned. And I think one thing I would underline as a takeaway uh, in this conversation is parents who are listening to this, please pay attention to that and do not just dismiss it. Um, figure out a way to find support uh, so that your kid can go through this without getting hurt, right? Um, so uh, so that, that anyway, so I think that's what I would take away. Um, so kind of moving on, you also talked about pre-diabetes. Now, uh, is, was that, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the, 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 first, the two types of diabetes, right? Uh, the uh, type 1 and type 2. Was it the type 1 uh, that you were dealing with? Uh, this would be, I, I don't know which one's type 1
1: and type 2, but this is the uh, one that's related to blood sugar.
0: Okay, the one where the the body is not producing any insulin, right? Uh, That's one type, right? Another one is uh, where there is uh, insulin is having no effect on on your blood sugar,
1: right? Yeah, it's got to be type one then. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So the body don't put me on that. Not a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Both of us are not doctors, so we're not. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so what did that uh, lead to? So, is that what kind of got you start uh, thinking about? uh, exercise, uh, running in the first place, was it the the type 2 diabetes? Or the, uh, the diabetes, I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was... I think it wasn't just the diabetes. It was, well, physically knowing that I could have been on medication my whole life uh, if I had just kept making the wrong call after the wrong call. That was very scary. I was okay. only 18 years old. I didn't want to be right. on dealing with that for the rest of my life. And that was very much a shock. Hmm. Uh, And I think it was a shock that was big enough to break me out of my programming. And my programming was very much in my family over here. Very much. There were a lot of unhealthy eating habits, I would call it. Uh, I think a lot of fast food, a lot of lot of easy foods which is actually very common in uh families that are in a lower income bracket more than people think uh Mm. because and also working work working class families because my mom was working as a night nurse and my dad was working at a warehouse at one point like they both had multiple Mm. jobs it's you can not blame them for wanting to go to the easiest option for food, both for themselves and for me, they don't have time to cook a two hour gourmet meal. Um, there, there are, and the education at the time wasn't out there for, uh, how to cook a simple, healthy meal. Mm. Uh, of course, we had like our Indian food and our rotlis and our teplus and, you know, total Gujarati, right? So, mm. um, but I was, uh, there was a time when I was eating, drinking a soda almost every day and I was having Del Taco four times a week. Mm. And yeah, I just, I just didn't want to be the next in line. And I just felt like I was just, being the next, uh, footnote in the chapter of males in our family.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: and I didn't want to be that. And so I just decided to make a change for that, uh, and just do my best to live a healthier lifestyle. And it was definitely a challenge. I mean, uh, I got a lot of, there was of course, uh, some support for me, but there was also a lot of like almost bewilderment, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You're too skinny. Mm -hmm. You look like this. Like, why are you Mm -hmm. eating this? Uh, I think, and I think a lot of that, I think maybe only five, 10% of that was really malicious. I think most of that was really just from confusion. You see something and you're confused by it and your reaction is almost defensive. And I think that there were a lot of defensive reactions because what I was doing was very much, um, out of the norm of the people within my community Hmm. and so that was a big part of the challenge of doing making this change
0: okay awesome yeah yeah that's great i mean it's taken something and um and where were you getting this inspiration i mean it seems like you um you were you were taking some positive action uh, in an environment that not necessarily was feeding you with a lot of information. Uh, uh, so where were you getting your your uh, education on some of these alternative choices about food and exercise and uh, mental health? Where were you? What was your to- go-to?
1: Well, it's uh, it's always a double-edged sword. But I grew up in the age of technology and information is mm-hmm. everywhere. So I was. Uh, I was Googling and I was watching videos and honestly, looking back, when I first lost those 90 pounds, probably not searching up all the right things I needed to. Uh, There was, I mean, one example was I thought that sodium was bad, so much so that I stopped having... I started picking foods that had almost zero sodium, and I started injecting more potassium into my body. Banana, this, that. Mm, mm. I lost a lot of water weight, but then I got really dizzy. I go to the doctor, and they say you need more salt.
2: <laughs>
1: mm. uh, and it's just, I think it was just, I think it's like anything, like with running, okay. with sports, education. It was very much a trial and error process with my body. Mm. I just tried things. A lot of things didn't work. Uh, some things did, and Um, to this day, I don't, I think it was just the classic eat less, exercise more, and that got me to where I needed to go. And, um, I, yeah, it was, uh, there, there were a lot of things that I did not do correctly and did actually send me on a spiral in my relationship with food in my 20s. And that was something I was dealing with up until the end of 2022 and breaking out of, which was like uh, the restriction of calories to and exercising more hard to have the body of an athlete. Mm. And when running happened and ultra running happened, that became something that was more like, magnified because people think that runners should look a certain way to perform. And that led to me doing more miles and not feeding my body the calories it needed. And that was a lesson I didn't learn until I had my, uh, until I had my failure at Moab in 2022, which is, I I call it a failure in the lightest sense. I think that failure is a good word. So, Mm. um, but yeah, I, uh, I think that that environment was not necessarily feeding me. Hmm. So there was just a lot of trial and error and just me figuring things out and, and just getting on YouTube and on Google and just trying my best to make things work however I could with the information that I had. And it's also a thing of like, that information is there, but what are you supposed to look up? What are you supposed to do? Um, who are the type of professionals you're supposed to see that stuff i didn't know so it was a whole journey
0: yeah yeah i think the 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 reverse of um, at least for your generation it's the the opposite of um, you know uh where to where do i go to get information is now there's so much information that now you now, now that they reverse challenges how to filter out what's Useful and what's junk, right? And and that that itself is another, uh, you know, skill that one needs to develop. Now, um, I know we kind of talked about you starting uh, to run and did the 5K. You suffered, you know, but you got through that. But you rapidly kind of scaled up, right? And we talked about Moab. Now, obviously, Moab is the point you came arrived after. Uh, some time and um, and maybe found yourself uh, struggling to figure out how to handle something of that scale. But give us a sense of you, you started your 5K and then rapidly evolved into an ultra running uh, lifestyle. So how did that happen?
1: Yeah, so I was on the normal path of Roadrunner and I was going maybe the traditional route everybody was going uh, or the general population was going that doesn't know about ultra running and um, the longer, longer distances. I ended up after my first half marathon doing four more half marathons and I was signed up actually. I had finally built up enough confidence. It was very scary at the time. And October of 2019, I signed up for my first, uh, marathon. The orange County marathon it was supposed to okay. happen in May of 2020. And, um, of course it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, could I just say, I love, uh, I love when I tell stories of people and we have these conversations and I'm like, yeah, so there was this thing called the pandemic. There's, I love saying it in so many different ways, but it's, I mean, that was four years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. But, that- um, Yeah. So Orange County Marathon, like all the road races in Mm -hmm. California got canceled. And uh, I did what other people started doing during my isolation. Of course, with my work, uh, after the first two weeks, I was taking off and I was still doing a lot of travel because I was an operations and maintenance engineer and things have Mm -hmm. to be maintained even during COVID. Mm -hmm. And during this time, I started taking up, reading more books. i I was going through another bad relationship. I was very much feeling isolated again. I think COVID was an awakening for a lot of people of like the root of the fact that they needed to get to the root of their issues. And I think I was Mm. one of those people. And I started looking up more books. I found Finding Ultra by Rich Roll. I found Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Uh, Mm. I found Reborn on the Run by Katra Corbett and started listening to more podcasts and more people. Uh, A lot of Jay Shetty's podcasts uh, Mm. were very interesting to me. I read Think Like a Monk. uh, Was just looking and absorbing more knowledge on how to be and started to really see this as a reset of how I could improve myself and be a better human being. And as I was going through this tumultuous relationship and this Mm -hmm. difficult time for my mental health, uh, I started running a lot more miles for my mental health. And that at the time, I very much made it like my identity and the biggest part of my identity and Mm -hmm. started doing went up from 10, 15 miles to doing 40, 50-mile weeks, 60-mile weeks, a 4x4x48 challenge and uh, doing all these virtual races. And I just transitioned into ultra because in 2019, I had started getting into the outdoors and backpacking. And then I found that this thing called trail running existed and I gave it a shot. And... At the time utah was one of the only states that was doing gatherings over 50 and actually offering races so september of well going back uh one pivotal thing that happened i have to go back to 2018 for this i had Mm -hmm. discovered what when i was sitting in the office one day what a hundred mile race was now keep Mm -hmm. in mind i hadn't done my first half marathon yet so when i saw a hundred mile race I yeah. said, "This has got to be for Olympians and champions, and like these guys are superhumans." I didn't even know a two hundred existed at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought a hundred was the—I had thought a marathon was the pinnacle of achievement. Then I saw the video of like this hundred in Brazil or something, and I was just going crazy. And I said, <laughs> "No, never!" And I put it aside. Then twenty twenty comes around. This is important. Twenty twenty comes around, and uh, it's June, July, and I think man, like relationships are falling apart. My mind, I'm barely keeping my mind together. The whole world is falling apart. Like I might as well just uh, go for it. It was one of those moments, I think very similar to the moment when I was 17 of like, I've gotten low. I don't think I can get Mm -hmm. any lower. The only way to go is up. So I might as well go big. And I signed up for a hundred miler when the most I had done was 16 miles so that was july of 2020 that hundred was going to be in april of 2021 so one week later now i'm sweating i don't know what to do mm-hmm. and i signed up for my first 50k uh also in zion so that race that i was doing was going to be the zion 100 so i signed up for the zion 50k in september of 2020 and the it was one of the hardest things i've done and mm. the rest was history so it was the reason I think the ascent has been so rapid was because mm. the very first sign up I did in the ultra marathon road world, world was a hundred mile race. Mm. And, and so I immediately fell in love with the idea that I had this big, scary thing in front of me. I mean, really scary. I didn't think that I was going to finish it. I think that it might be the last, first and last thing I ever do, but I just wanted to know yeah. if I could if I could just go the distance, because I mean, again, whole road was falling apart. Might as well just give it my yeah. best shot. And, um, uh, one important thing with that was I was working at a local, uh, at our uh, local Sanatan temple, uh, mm-hmm. and we were doing grocery distribution every week, uh, mm-hmm. through the temple and, uh, giving out, uh, also, one thousand about one thousand hot meals a week, mm. as well to homeless, to college students, to uh, families in need. And I decided one thing that gave me purpose to do the hundred mile run was to run for them. Okay, and okay. Uh, we raised about fifteen hundred dollars, which is good for fifteen hundred hot meals uh, mm. through the hundred mile, and so. Uh, all of those things started happening at once: uh, me wanting to run for a purpose, and uh, me wanting to find something scary to see if I could do it. And uh, so that is kind of how the ascent
0: into ultra started. Yeah, oh, that's uh, that's very intriguing because um, uh, not intriguing, but it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's a fascinating uh, culmination of multiple things happening and i'm glad it worked out for you because you f- you found a path that was taking you forward right so you had a, a relationship that was uh, not working and there was getting you back into those you know the the, the, the you know the uh, uh depressive dark side uh, feeling low and then you uh, you had the running already going uh, which kind of uh, helped you at least uh, find some traction other than to go, you know, uh, ruminate over what you were going through. And at the same time, you also found purpose, which is beyond uh, just doing running for the sake of either dealing with a problem or just pure physical health, but you also found a larger purpose. Seems like it was all, it all came together in a nice way, right? Uh, In your case. So, so your first 100 was in Zion, right? In Utah, correct? And how did that go?
1: uh same as my fifty k it was very mm. much a uh it came down to the last two minutes where it, there was a difference of i'm going to finish and I'm not gonna finish but mm. um by that point, I had gotten to the realization that I already hit a hundred miles um i didn't care if I finished or not i just mm. I had already felt at that point this is gonna be my last run, and I'll tell you why I felt that way mm. i Everything that could go wrong in that race did go wrong. Uh, I was fortunate during my second 50K in February, first week of February, so two months before the race now in Zion, which is first week of April, and also the uh, three-year anniversary of when I first started running, uh, I met uh i met a lady who ended up becoming my coach in the ultra world uh in 2020 everybody was very isolated i had no Mm. i had no concept of what the ultra running community was because people weren't seeing each other or talking to each other or going outside and running together so i was doing everything solo alone
2: Mm. uh,
1: with no guidance and then she came along and i think that she was the difference with those two minutes of finishing and not finishing Mm. um or even just me getting that far and still, because, um, I was very much just, I just made every mistake in the book. Uh, I was not nutritionally. I struggled. I, my feet, obviously going back, like I wouldn't, I'm saying this right now, I would not recommend anybody mm. jumps from 16 miles or a 50 K ride to a hundred mile. Or if that's mm. part of your journey, so be it. Like it was part of my journey, but. It was a painful experience. I would mm-hmm. recommend work your way up uh, 50k, 50 mile, or 100k, 100 miles, but it was a painful journey. I last about the last 40 miles of that race, my right foot was so swollen, I couldn't put almost any weight on it. I couldn't weight bear on it. So I had to rely on my poles. Uh, uh-huh. It was painful to the extreme to like put that foot down the both my feet i had blood blisters that i had to drain over and over again because my feet were shredded and it got to the point where i couldn't remove the tape they just had to tape over the tape because my my feet were already too damaged and we crossed a river crossing and one of them had bad early signs of trench foot as well uh my body What what is trench foot trench foot oh you don't want to look it up it just it's very much just like it comes from like being in like water and i don't know if it's Mm. more of like dirty water or what but like Mm. uh it comes from being in the water all that moisture accumulating uh and then your foot just becomes like almost like you know you're in the pool and like you stay in too long and it becomes like crusty Mm. it's that culminated with like the friction of like your foot moving ouch and yeah it was not a great experience uh i also for about the last 40 miles of that race i just couldn't eat i just couldn't keep anything in my stomach uh every time i would eat any sort of food it would come right back out um so all those things were accumulating and i was fighting cutoffs maybe from like the last 3 4 aid stations the last 30 miles i was 10, 15 minutes uh, before each one. And then I got to the last one and I made it to go to the loop. And now according to the map, I had four miles left to go. Mm -hmm. I was with another group of people and I only had one hour left. So I was doing the math. I was doing 25 minute miles. And that was the first time in that race where I really felt like I wasn't going to make it. Mm -hmm. And they ended up going ahead of me And I'm just like walking through this trail, walking through this trail by myself, almost feeling a bit sorry for myself, Mm. starting to think Mm. of what am I going to tell my parents because they're, and my sister, because they're waiting for me at the finish line.
2: Mm.
1: And then I hit a hundred miles on my watch because these races are not made equal in distance. And I said, you know what? I have what I have. Mm. I got my hundred miles and I was ready to be okay with that. And then I heard a voice, uh, calling from above on this like rock. And they Mm. said, oh, is that you? I said, Mm. am I hearing things? Because I had already been hallucinating through the night at all those things. Um, And then I look up and I see my friend, uh, now friend, uh, Rob Rich, who is Mm. the aid station captain of the last aid station. And he was just sweeping and picking things up. And he told me, no, I didn't have four miles left. I had two miles left and that and then he said, "Come on, I'll come with you, uh just like follow me, so I started going with him, having the company help drag me along, brought a smile back to my face uh I was starting to see that light small light of hope again, mm. and then got to the aid station, him and his friend and his daughter uh ran me some water in my flask, ice cold water, and they said we have to close the sub, but do you want us to come with you? And I said, yes, you have to cross the finish line with me because you've gotten me this far. So now the last two miles are on the road and I have to, I maybe have like 30 something minutes left and I have to like push, Mm. push. And he says like, we can keep going this pace, but you know that as we get closer, you're going to have to sprint. You're going to have to Mm. give it everything you got when you turn that corner. And I said, man like i'm giving it everything i've got right now but you know what there's this other part of me in my head that was like i have nothing to lose at this point Mm. i i already in my mind had made up this is going to be the last thing i ever do uh and i have to give it my best shot Um, i've gotten this far and i didn't come this far to just get this far and i saw the finish line and i sprinted i ran so fast and my mom got it on video i was screaming i crossed the finish line i mean in hindsight it wasn't that fast but it felt fast to me right but i did it i crossed the finish line and it had just about two minutes to spare and uh i made it and i wouldn't have made it without rob his daughter and his friend and we still talk about it to this day but uh i'm Aside from my 235 miles at Moab, uh, I'm very proud of my first 100 mile finish and how much I battled through to make it, especially how much I'd battled through not just on the course, but getting Mm. to the start line and all the emotions I had to deal with in that 2020 to even make it to that start line. I mean, I had literal, man, I had literal tears when I started the race because I didn't think that I belonged with these people. Hmm. And I found my way there. And so to finish that race, especially in front of my family and my mom, who is like very much my strength and my rock, that was everything.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, That is uh, a lot of uh, people who hear about uh, people doing 100 mile races think that like the way you felt, right? It's somebody who's a super elite, super, superhuman who's doing it. But when you, when you, when I speak to folks like you and a few other guests who've been on the show, talk about their first hundred miler, uh, it's, it's hard grit and work, right? It's, it's going out there and not giving up and, you know, maybe it's not for everyone, but if you've, uh, if you're in there, uh, it comes down to, um, grit and staying in the game and getting it done in spite of all the pain and suffering that you deal with so uh, you know it's 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 not as glamorous as a lot of people think it is but you know it's amazing you know uh, it's amazing that uh, you got it done so congratulations on that and um, so so then what happened so after that uh, it seems like you just continue to it's not like you stop running <laughs> long yeah. distance running you, you you seem to have gotten hooked there <laughs>
1: No, there was uh, definitely a road to recovery. I mean, I had to go to urgent care the next day after that race, um, which is, again, my PSA. I don't recommend doing this, (laughs) but I continued down the path. I did a uh, six weeks later. I signed up for a 24 hour race um, Mm -hmm. to raise money for oxygen cylinders for India. It was May of 2021. Mm -hmm. So I was raising money for the covid surge in India. You know, we almost lost my grandmother during that search mm-hmm. because they couldn't find a hospital bed for her. We were searching for oxygen cylinders the whole night. And I wow. think that many of us uh, in the community were affected by it and felt very helpless um, to help our families back Ooh. home. Um, and I continued off of that, continued working with um, the hot meals organization and mm. just continued raising funding for them. And uh, I met, a uh i met almost had a mentor of sorts uh I met a friend at the time uh his name is hector Rodriguez he was doing mm-hmm. the triple crown of two hundreds in twenty twenty one same year as bipple he finished it uh okay. and so I reached out to Hector a week before my race uh at Zion and asked for advice, and he very much obliged and gave me advice and uh I saw that he was doing these 200 mile races. I had no idea what they were about, but I wanted to come out and help him and pace him and Mm -hmm. crew him and get the experience and see what it was about. And he said yes to letting me pace him and crew him at Bigfoot in 2021 and Moab in 2021. So I did both of those. Uh, So I didn't do any races uh, pretty much in the summer was just doing more miles, more training And I came out and I paced Hector 47 miles at Bigfoot, including the back half. Uh, I met another friend there and ended up pacing him, uh, her and Hector, both at Moab for 91 miles that week. So I paced 91 miles at Moab in 2021. And then I take a week off with maybe eight, nine miles. And I come back and I say, man, I feel really good. Mm. I can't just let this fitness go to waste. And at the time, like there was a group of us who had built a community and we were supporting each other in our causes. And a bunch of us were riding the energy of like being at a race like Moab, watching Hector finish this triple crown of two hundreds. And I thought it's time for another 100. So I signed up for one that was only three weeks out, uh, which is much faster than doing one that was like months out. But I had felt that I had the fitness. Mm-hmm. I put together a strong week of, with a 30 mile training run. And so three weeks later, uh, all, four weeks after Moab, I went into this race called Valley of Fire 100. And I ended up finishing my second hundred mile, this time I was not uh, two minutes to spare. I, it was more like two hours to spare. So nice. there was definitely an improvement. Still went through some ordeals. Uh, one of my pinky toes got totally ripped off um, mm. and ran on that for the last 60 miles. And uh, the last six miles maybe took me two and a half hours because I was in the canyon and it was about 100 degrees and it felt more like 120. And uh, But I got it done and I thought, okay, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. And I realized that I wanted to eventually um oh there was an important detail i missed in june of 2021 uh i realized that i wanted to go big and that was when destination trails who makes like the moab the bigfoot and tahoe Mm -hmm. put out here's all the triple crown races you can bypass the lottery if you sign up for them all at once forty five hundred dollars this and that right and i thought You know, sure enough, like I did a hundred miler and I'd signed up for that without knowing if I could do it when I'd only done 16 miles. So what was the difference between that and like doing a hundred miler and then trying to do three, 200 mile races? So I had actually signed up for this triple crown I'm doing this year in June Mm -hmm. of 2021, but they had a two year deferral policy, 100% deferral. And I thought, okay, so that gives me some flexibility and some room to work towards this. And so... Once I had signed up for that triple crown of 200s, uh, I realized just like with the 100, I had to make a path going there. So, Hmm. of course, that was why I paced and crude Hector at his races. Then I did my second 100-miler. Then December of 2021, I did an event called Across the Years for the first time. It's a one-mile loop course, and it's a timed ultra where you have to do as many hours as you can or like as many laps as you can within Mm. the frame. I signed up for the 72 hour because my next step was to see how I can handle a multi-day setting. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, that was when I ended up reconnecting with Ritzstone Family Center, who I had built a connection with in college, Uh, Mm -hmm. done some engineering projects with them, had gone out to volunteer with them, and I just genuinely trusted the organization and touched base with them again. And I said, hey, I want to do this loop race to raise money for Ritstone Family Center, an organization that's very much from around the area where I was born. Mm-hmm. And so I did my 72-hour race, uh, got maybe 168 miles and mm-hmm uh one of the hardest things I've ever done because flats really hurt. Um, hmm. and we raised about 2000 dollars for Ritzstone. So uh yeah just wanted to keep carrying that momentum into 2022.
0: Oh yeah. And 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 you did um uh so you did you did try the Moab in twenty twenty two, correct? Or was it twenty twenty three?
1: It was twenty twenty two. Uh I got into I didn't know if I was going to get into Moab in 2022, but part of me was like I shouldn't go into doing 3 200 mile races in one year without at least mm. trying one and Moab is yeah. of course the most popular one, the one that calls out to me the most and so mm. it was the first year they did the lottery and I I was I believe I got in by past the lottery because I was a floating volunteer, so okay. I was able to January of 2022, I knew I had gotten into the Moab 240 in the fall, and I went into it with the expectations that it was going to be a test to see how I can handle an actual 200, and I had no pacers and no crew for that one. Um, I decided I wanted to go solo because I just wanted to put myself in that environment of helping myself, because I think that if I had crew in the future, that would help me know how i act react in those moments Mm -hmm. so that i don't do anything bad to my crew Uh, and also just um, mentally rewarding experience to do those things for yourself and see if you can and and so i very much got into 2022 was a year where i very much got into doing a lot of big big races Mm -hmm. and i think i did too many big races because Now, just like I said, in 2020, I really had made ultra runner my whole entire identity. It was also my first year as a sponsored athlete with Merrill. And so I was just riding these high expectations of me after having a very strong 2021. And I've, I think I would say I fell pretty flat in 2022. I had two DNFs at the hundred mile distance. I did not finish the jungle ultra in June of twenty twenty. Uh, two, which is one of the hardest ultra marathons on the planet. Uh, And then I I did finish the Zion 100 for the second year in a row, this time two hours faster. So that was good. Um, And yeah, I did the Moab in 2022 and fall of 22. And I got to 235 miles. It's the great opening for a story, right? I, mm. I did the Moab 235. I got to 235 miles and uh, my race is over. And people ask, you got that close. Why would you stop, right?
0: <laughs> and what, 240 is what you'll finish? 240. Uh,
1: 240 is the race, yeah. So I, is the race. I got to 235. Um, which was basically, uh, I think the official end of the race is like 239. So I got to Mm -hmm. basically the road where I had to be rescued. And then um, Mm -hmm. that was it. I just didn't, I did the entire loop. I just didn't do the last three miles on the
0: road. Wow. Wow. That is, uh, that is, uh, I mean, I don't even know how to process, uh, how (laughs) people, how anyone would process something like that. Right. Because, Uh, So much of what uh, you've put in, so much of yourself into that. And then, yeah, but but it happens, right? In the sense, uh, we're just looking at it very mathematically. Uh, I'm sure uh, if you could have, you would have. Uh, Mm -hmm. But at that point, I mean, you just couldn't. So it is what it is. But you still got 235 miles behind you. That is quite amazing, right? (laughs) So... Uh, so you're all. So I guess that gives you some confidence for the triple crown that you're out to uh, uh, go after next year, right? In 2024, not next year, this year, right? So
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, the 235 was an important experience because. So reason I stopped was uh, I was dealing with nutritional issues again. Sleep was <laughs> a struggle. And then all of that accumulated to where to get to mile 200, I had to run three miles uphill to make a cutoff about maybe two, three miles. Uh, And I'd made that cutoff with 20 minutes left. Then I get to mile 220, last aid station. I have seven hours to do the last 18, 19 miles on almost a very technical terrain. Mm -hmm. And I get to mile 225. I paced a friend over there this last year. And I remember the exact spot where I got injured and I just felt this sharp 10 out of 10 pain in my left hip. And I just could not, uh, I couldn't move for a while. And I, I even called one of the volunteer coordinators, uh, or the volunteers. And I was like telling them like, Hey, like, is there any way I can get driven down this thing? I think my race is done. And they say, no, you have to hike down because getting oh. a rescue would be $25,000 mm. uh, and would take eight, nine hours to get there. And it was already, the sun was setting and um, I didn't have very much with me. The aid station in the back was closing up. So I just had to make my way down. And so I just decided like at Zion, I had a very much Zion moment of like, you know i've already hurt myself i just have to go for it now i'm so close this might be the last thing i do but 240 miles man so i started running fast or i think i did um and adrenaline took over and i was just going down this mountain i teamed up with a couple friends and then we get to about 230 232 and started to get lost in the dark and at this point i'm seeing audible i was already hallucinating now i'm seeing mm-hmm. audible visual hallucinations holographic volunteers and christmas trees with dead bodies and just all kinds of weird things
2: um
1: and i'm hearing my mom call out to me and i'm I'm, I'm losing my mind basically uh and uh my body started to slow down and shut down and i was doing like 30 40 minute miles and i just could barely move and that pain was just not going away and only Mm -hmm. getting worse and worse and at that point I was getting one hour past the cutoff. I was doing the math in my, it was painful because I was doing the math in my head. Like if I make it down to this road now, I can still do this. If I can make it down, the road just was not coming. And turns out that we had gotten a bit lost and, uh, eventually found our way to the road where some of the volunteers are waiting for us to take us back to camp. Um, they, they gave us the option of walking it in. I didn't know the severity of my injury and I was already losing my mind. So it wasn't a good idea to be on the road for that. And I just decided that there was things bigger than finishing a race at that point. Yeah. But I made that decision. I'm proud of myself for making that decision, even mm-hmm. though I wasn't in my fullest senses because mm. I, I don't know what would have happened if I'd kept going. If I my injury would have been longer than six weeks, six to eight weeks. Um, but I'm very proud of making that decision, and now looking back, I'm very proud of uh, my effort at that run. And I think mm-hmm. that that failure was pivotal uh, for me because those six weeks where I wasn't running, after spending, after running every single week for the last like four years at that time yeah. uh, made force me to ask the real questions and reassess my identity. And I realized that I am not just an ultra runner. U- ultra mm. runner is just one part of my identity. I'm also a son. I'm also a brother. I'm also a business owner. I'm also <laughs> an uh, Indian American. Uh, uh, we are so many things as humans. We are multifaceted. And so it helped me create a more healthy relationship with running. And I started my running from the ground back up in November of 2022 and 2023 ended up being a very strong year. I did the Everest ultra, uh, Tahoe 100, uh, ended up finishing my first trail 200 at Oregon. And then just, just about at the start of this month on January 3rd, I finished my first 300 mile ride across the years. So um after going for it was amazing what the mindset shifted and whether i finished these races or not is another thing but i dnf'd 4 out of 6 races in 2022 i finished all 6 of my races in 2023 uh mm-hmm. and that's uh and i think a lot of that has to do with a mindset shift that came from uh my failure at moab it was a wake up call
0: mm-hmm. So so what changed? I mean, what did you do differently in 2023 uh, that got, so you you, you talked about, uh, you talked about a couple of things, right? One is the realization that you are just not an ultra runner. uh, And then you seem to have also continued doing ultra running. It's not like you gave up on it. You seem to have done better in 2023. Uh, How did that realization change what you do in, in, in your day-to-day life? I think that
1: I realized that it's all one pot and there's all, and these are all just like puzzle pieces that create your identity. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though I'm a sponsored athlete and there are the demands of like running and training for my job, I re- one of the most one of the funnest facts I like to tell people is that I ran the least number of miles I've ever run. Um, in the last like three, four years, I ran less miles in 2023 in training mm-hmm. than I did in 2022 and 2021. And I, and I had my strongest improvements and my strongest performances because I realized that that was good for me, but I also started giving myself more grace and realized that. Stress is one bucket. If you're sick, you don't go out and you do a run and it fixes everything. If you slept three hours the night before, going out and doing a 20 mile run is not productive. If you're stressed about your job, it doesn't make sense to get in that two hour lifting workout uh, and then, or like train at like 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night do you have to do it sometimes to build that mental toughness? Yes, absolutely. But I think you have to pick and choose and realize that if you train hard, you also have to recover hard. And I think that's true with everything, with life too, being a business owner. Um, Mm -hmm. If I'm working hard 55, 60 hours a week on my business, I also have to take, I set aside on my calendar Uh, Two hour slots where I'm not thinking about the business where I can just go sit on a park bench if I want to or go relax or take care of myself. And and I just realized that that's all one bucket and you have to take care of yourself mentally and physically and give your body the thanks that it deserves to be able to continue putting that efforts out for you. Whereas my mindset in 2022 was I was very much in that, like David Goggins, that mindset of like, I need to run 100 miles a week and do this. And now I maybe average 30, 40 miles a week um, for the entire year, Uh, which, of course, it goes up in the peak of training. I'll get to 70, 80 a week. But when I'm like, but I have, I'm not in shape all year round. I have an off season. So after I finish my big races, I take one or two months off to like really give myself time to do other things to be with my family, because there's so much commitment to this and uh, no structure and training. I just like do what I want and do what I love. And then when I get to a point where I start missing running and have that desire again, then I go back because I started realizing that I don't want to do this for just me personally, for two, three years, I want to build, I want to be able to do this when I'm 90 years old. Mm. And so uh, I started looking at the long game as well. I, this last week, as I'm starting to build back up for my 300 mile race, I was supposed to do 45, 50 miles, 50 miles, I think I ended up doing maybe 41 miles. I skipped a couple runs because my body just didn't feel up to it. Um, and you have to sometimes, sometimes like it's good to get a run in the rain. Sometimes it's good to like get yourself up in the morning to, uh, and have that discipline. But also there's a balance of like, is this five mile run really necessary in the big picture? Is it going to matter in one year in two years and three years that, oh, I didn't do these five miles because I only slept two hours last night. Right. (laughs) So I think just very much adopting a mindset of like listening to my body because my body understands what it needs is changed everything. Uh, And also just taking care of yourself mentally. Right. Uh, Meditating, uh, journaling. My favorite thing to do when I go out on the trail is I don't do my long runs with headphones And sometimes I'll just talk to myself. Sometimes I'll just, if I feel like I want to say something, I'll record it and I'll listen back to it later uh, so I can get things and feelings out and I can reflect and stay present in the moment. So
0: I think it's a balance of all those things. Right, right. Terrific. Hey, um, I know uh, that was, uh, we covered quite a bit of ground. Um, I think, uh, and thanks for taking us really behind the scenes of what you've dealt with and how you've kind of, uh, you know, had your victories and uh, you've had your uh, uh, temporary defeats, but you never let it kind of define you. You have let it uh, only teach you um, a few things and you kept going forward and, uh, you know, definitely wish you uh, uh, success in 2024 with all the big projects you have on the, on the, on the table, and I'm sure uh, with all the wisdom that you've gained in your, um, you know, in, in a short period of time, uh, people take 10, 15 years sometimes to come to these uh, realizations, but you seem to have gotten there quicker, but I'm sure that will serve you well uh, as you go and mm-hmm. conquer new territories and dreams and, you know, projects. Um, so, you know, I'm coming, uh, coming to kind of a... Um, a wrap up here, but there's one thing that I like to do with my guests, which is a fun Q and A round. Uh, so, how about we do that and then then go forward? That sounds good to me. Bring it on. All right. Okay. So, um, my first question: I know food is a big thing uh, for all runners because we fuel uh, ourselves quite a bit, and uh, we get also quite. Uh, fussy about what we eat and what not we eat. But at the same time, we are humans and we like to indulge every now and then. So my first question is, what's your favorite junk food?
1: My favorite junk food? Oh, I mean, I love good like jalapeno potato chips, but oh, French fries. French fries with <laughs> ranch dip. <friendship. laughs> That's my okay. favorite.
0: So do you indulge in that after every race or every... Oh, you... I,
1: I tr I try to for sure. If if that's an option, then I will try to get a good French fry with a, a dip for
0: sure. Cool. That definitely qualifies as a junk food for sure. <laughs> um what's uh favorite way of uh, what's your favorite way to spend a lazy day um, other than running? Oh man,
1: uh, a good nap. <laughs> I, I love a good nap. Uh sometimes just like good nap, laying down watching NBA basketball Mm. is one of my favorite things to do. Uh just mindless TV. I like to think you're thinking all the time, it's fun to turn your brain off.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Makes sense. Brainless TV is a is a nice way to unwind. Agreed. Um next one. A person in your life that uplifts you just by thinking about that person.
1: My girlfriend. Hundred oh, percent, my girlfriend. Um, uh, lifts me up all the time. Uh, ah, she nice. is most definitely my rock.
0: Awesome, and hope she's. I hope she's uh, gonna be listening to this, and uh, she gets that message from you. <laughs> all right, um, the next one, a bucket list race. I know you have the triple crown coming up. Is uh, anything beyond that as a bucket list race for you?
1: Oh um the spine race in Wales okay. the dragon's back I would love to do that and the uh tour 330 in Italy as well the tour giants
0: tour okay. de giants for sure nice nice I've never heard of those but I'll look up look them up All right uh, the last one is if we made a movie of your life uh a what genre would you put it in and B, who would you hire to play your character?
1: Oh, man. Uh, I think it would have to be a comedy of errors. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a genre? <laughs> uh, it would be a comedy, but it would be like a slapstick comedy, like a, mm. almost like a gold mile or something, you know? <laughs> okay. Um, and who would I bring in to play me? Man, uh, I... Uh, I don't know that I deserve this, but maybe uh, it would have to be Ranveer Singh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, he's an actor from my generation. I could say probably my second choice would probably be like Akshay Kumar, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Ranveer Singh, there's a script uh, coming your way. Uh, <laughs> we, did, we just have to find the right producer now. Uh, he's, he's He's got expensive. He's probably expensive nowadays, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, so you you seem to uh, be watching a lot of Hindi movies, right? Do you? Uh, I grew up on Hindi
1: movies, yeah. Mm. Okay. So many,
0: yeah. Awesome. So that's good. We learned a few more things about you in the uh, uh, quick Q&A, Q&A round here. Uh, and you did well, uh, Om. So we kind of coming up to a wrap-up here. Um, I want to give you the last word. Uh, any final message or... Uh, bottom line you want to give to our listeners absolutely uh
1: it's something that i said earlier about mental health and that is this disease uh this uh, depression anxiety these things try to Mm -hmm. isolate you so Mm -hmm. they try to make you feel like you're alone uh and i'm not saying that there are aren't moments where you're not going to feel alone there are still moments where i break down there are still moments Mm -hmm. where i don't know if i'm ever going to get out of that state but the more you talk about it Mm -hmm. the more you find community and share it the more you're liberated and the more others will feel they're not alone as well and i think that's very important so definitely be vocal about it and i mean everybody but i especially mean men as well, because I don't think that we're vocal enough about it. Uh, And I think that that affects not only us, but also the people around us. So we need to be Mm -hmm. more vocal and it's okay to be sensitive and uh, it's okay to be open. It's okay to cry and Mm -hmm. uh, just be, it's time to uh, get rid of those gender norms and to just see ourselves as human beings. And just really take care of yourself, look after yourself. And most importantly, uh, don't give up. Uh, Don't give up. Because uh, I don't, uh, as my story may be a testament, uh, you just never know what's around the corner. You're always one decision away from a totally different life. And I would have taken that decision away for myself uh, when I was younger if I did what I did. So Mm. just keep.
0: Keep pushing forward. It does get better. Lovely. Beautiful. Uh, Great message, Om. That that really hits home, Um, especially about mental health for men. Um, Being vulnerable, being open about your emotions. I think uh, well said. Time to stop pretending that, uh, you know, uh, there's a Hindi saying, right? Which means the men don't feel pain. That's total BS. Uh, we've got to stop pretending and accept that uh, we we feel emotional pain and uh, share it so you don't uh, you don't uh, pay other uh, the price otherwise, right? Uh, great. Thanks a lot, uh, Om. Uh, it was a wonderful, con- uh, wonderful conversation. Uh, I'll let you go and enjoy the rest of the evening and we'll stay in touch.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for giving me the platform and the space and that was a great conversation. Thank you. Bye i